Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Sprites of Life podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Chris. And I'm Don. We're so glad you guys are listening. Hope you guys are having a fantastic day or night. Now, Chris, you said you had an intro for this one. Yes. It's a, it's a little bit of trivia. I love a good trivia. Ah, same. All right. Shoot. What does this episode and 1980s rock have in common? Mm, the, we're wearing tight pants. I mean, speak for yourself. No, my pants are pretty loose. <laughs> they both contain a little bit of poison. I mean, you're not wrong, but am I still? A, do I still have to like it? I mean, if it's more your speed, I could have changed it to what does this episode and Britney Spears have in common? No, we're good. I like that more. <laughs> what was that? That's toxic, toxic man. <laughs> Yeah, what if that was the sound that Toxic made in the Pokemon game when it came out? <laughs> that would actually be... I would play that mod. Yeah, I would only play Toxic mods. <laughs> well, honestly, I hope after this, people do have an appreciation for them. So, for those who haven't figured it out yet, we are going to be talking about Poison-type Pokemon. Specifically, where a lot of these toxins come from, what they've done for us. And we are going to share not just some of our favorite Poison types, but even a few Pokemon who should be poison types at least by some of our standards so hopefully you guys get an appreciation for more of these venomous poisonous creatures on the note of venomous poisonous creatures i did find some science news that was relatively new but also really cool and involving a venomous animal so what do y'all feel about jumping spiders i like them spiders shouldn't jump i think they're cool little dudes (laughs) <laughs> they got little dances. They're, they're, they're very, very sweet little creatures. And they're also a lot smarter than they look. These animals are capable of complex like thinking in terms of planning and strategy to get their food. There are some that have even learned to mimic ants. There's one specific species, Siller Kolegawudi, that lifts its front legs to pretend to be antenna, and it swings its legs and jiggles its abdomen to copy how an ant walks. The problem is... It's not very good at it. In fact, according to one study, it showed that it was like a really imperfect like impersonation. But what they found was that because it was so imperfect, it was perfect for blending in with multiple species of ants. Ants are really cool, but they will murder another ant in a heartbeat if it doesn't have the right smell. If it's even a different, same species, different colony, they'll murder each other. They have no problems with that. I'm sorry, Lucas, but the way you've described this just makes it sound like the spider just looks like a drunk ant. Uh, okay, fair. Okay, but 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 like they, they they checked like four different locations in southern China and compared the impersonation to the real ants and found that while it was good all around for all of the ants, it never closely resembled any other one. So maybe stumbling like a drunken ant is just something that all the other ants are used to. But now, does this also have anything to do with predation so yeah chris uh, about that they tested this on a praying mantis to see if it would be fooled because this they do have predators and this one praying mantis um yeah it ate it anyway it did not care <laughs> it's it like did not uh, care i'm an ant yeah it's just like no i greetings the mantis i am mr ant how are you <laughs> that was the weirdest lunch i've ever had in my life dinner and a show Apparently, I eat ants now. Yeah, I guess. Uh, that would have been funny, honestly. Like, oh, that's a weird ant. I mean, most animals 
tend to avoid ants if they need to because they understand enough that where there's one, there's more of them, and they can be track you pretty quickly. So it's really a danger to go and mess with them. So most animals will not, unless they're specialized in dealing with them. Question, you may not know the answer for this, but ants typically have some kind of like smell marker on them, right, for their colony, right? So how does the spider, because the spider's not going to have that. So how does that come into play? So with the spider, I believe what they'll do is just by walking, they try to mimic being an ant enough away, not so much for the ants to notice them, but not notice them, but for the predators to not notice them in the pile of other ants. I don't understand why specifically the ants aren't attacking the mimic spider, but I believe just the idea is that if the ants are busy and they're working, they're not really going to pay attention unless you get too close to the uh, the gotcha. colony. So basically what we have is a drunk spider that gets way too close to ants than is comfortable. I mean, they did say that predatory spiders did not bother the uh, the mimic. So the, so the mantis is smart enough to figure it out, whereas predatory spiders are not. <laughs> well, I was going to eat you, but guess not. Oh, gosh darn it. It's just a giant colorful ant. Oh, well. Well... On to gaming news, then. Who here has been obsessed with Tears of the Kingdom? I haven't gotten to play as much as I like, but I have been enjoying it. I, I, I'm up through the Wind Temple at this point. I, had, I beat the Water Temple and realized I should be collecting more battery charges to build tanks. Did, had you, have you beat, wait, did you go to the Water Temple first? Yeah, I, go I to haven't water been temple to a first. single temple. Well, neither, I mean, you go at your own speed. That's the whole thing. I know, I just have, I really just have had no time. I honestly just want to beat the game with like a tank or I've decided that once I get like a boat, I'm just going to make a land boat like with cannons and just wheels and just drive it across like the land in my little wheeled pirate ship. What I appreciate the most about this game is that what you make to succeed does not have to be pretty at all. And it is the definition of getting the job done. And by God, do I just get the job done. There is something to be said about bridge meta. Just building a big bridge. I think it's the biggest strength, but it's also one of the hardest things I'm having to wrap my head around, which is that all of the new abilities are very cool. But because they're so new, I don't think like in my like when I'm doing the puzzles, I don't think to incorporate them intuitively. And so like in the in the beginning, there's a part where like where the game is through gameplay is teaching you how to use the stuff. And so you have that one gap you have to bridge where you pick the thing up and lay it flat and you walk across. And the next one is a slightly bigger gap that is elevated and you have two pieces and the like. In the problem solving, you're you're supposed to figure out that you can use the attach part and put them together and make a big bridge. Uh, what I did is I made a ramp out of one and put the other one flat behind it so that it didn't slide and then just wall climbed. And it's just kind of like, do it, do whatever works. Like, it don't matter. Just get it done. There are so many people who are like, how is this game operating on the level that it is? Because look, we're Pokemon dorks here. And we all know that Pokemon Scarlet and Violet should be running better than what it is. The, the, this game makes me sad for a lot of the issues that Pokemon Scarlet and Violet had. Yeah, the, the, the argument of nuts, the Switch's fault is like, no, it's not. It's not to say that this game is perfect either, but like, there is a noticeable difference. 
it also the fastest selling Nintendo game in the Americas. It sold 10 million copies worldwide in the first three days. Everyone, there was a couple of video game reviewers I was reading like, this game is going to make everybody a snob because now for the rest of the Switch's lifespan, it's like, why doesn't this run as good as Tears of the Kingdom? And honestly, that could be a good thing. Because... That's a fair point. <laughs> it's a really fair point. I mean, right now, though, I was, um, because we're recording this on the 25th, they did just release that PlayStation, um, the PlayStation hour-long trailers of all the different stuff coming out. And Metal Gear is coming back and it feels weird why does it feel weird do you not know what konami did to uh the creator of metal gear well didn't they like fire him yeah they basically they fired him and made it to that way he couldn't accept credit for the game that he made at like video game show they basically treated this basic legend in the gaming industry like garbage then Konami decided to put all of their work into like pachinko machines. And now they're starting to get back in. So it's very strange to me because like I've been training my brain my entire life to ignore anything that these people do. But like now that they're like bringing back Metal Gear Solid 3 as like a completely remaster, like remake, it's interesting to see what a Metal Gear Solid without Kojima looks like. But at least it's on Xbox so you can play it. That's, I mean, I, well, I mean, like Phantom Pain's on Xbox. I just never, I never got around to playing Metal Gears because I didn't grow up with them. Yeah, I haven't played Metal Gear since like old Metal Gear, which I didn't. I mean, really you're in luck. They do have a bunch of remasters coming out as well. So now it seems that Konami is trying to get back into the game. And they're one of those companies that it's just like they burnt every ounce of goodwill the public ever had for them. And so now they're trying to get it back. And it's very weird to see it happening from my perspective. It's It's been a long time, but gamers got a long memory, especially how they did my boy Kojima dirty. They, they Hideo Kojima deserves so much better. He doesn't deserve perfect game scores because Death Stranding was weird, but like it, it, he's a genius and he deserved better than what Konami gave him. But we also got Spider-Man. Oh yeah, that's the. If I need any reason to buy a PS5, it's the new Spider-Man and the Wolverine game that's coming out. Yep. Oh my gosh, it looks so good. It looks so good. I love the fact that I can just say, "Get yourself a PS5 if you can afford it, and play yourself some Spider-Man," because it's going to be one of those games. I don't think it'll be Game of the Gear because once again, Tears of the Kingdom came out, and I'm I'm calling it. This is probably going to be named Game of the Year by like everybody. Yeah. I don't know what it is about Spider-Man in particular, and I don't know if this holds true for either of you, but I think because I'm so nostalgic for the 90s Spider-Man cartoon show, I will literally consume anything that has Kraven the Hunter in it. I mean, he wasn't my... Who was your go-to Spidey villain, Don? I don't know. I mean, obviously, you got your classics. Um, I, I liked... I mean, I was the... My, I was... I, I, I get, I'm going to say maybe the Green Goblin, honestly. Like, I, I was a big fan of the... Um, the Rami movie or whatever. For me, it's like it's Craven and Kingpin and Mysterio, which are all very 90s animated Spider-Man. I have a real after playing the last Spider-Man game, the first one that came out, I have a real love for Dr. Otto Octavius. Like that's and of course Venom. Like Venom and Doc Ock are like two of my favorite villains, especially with all the different stuff that Venom can do, the different symbiotes that came from it. Like that's such a cool concept. And it has a really good message when it was first coming out that had similarities to things like alcoholism. So it's like 
There was a real messaging in those comics when they first came out. It was awesome. And it goes great with really subpar movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, hang on. Spider-Man 2, though. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2. Well, Venom's not in that one. Uh, Yeah, you're right. But, uh, okay. But So you, you don't like the new Venom movies that Sony put out? No, I don't. I like Tom Hardy as Eddie Brock and Venom, but I don't like them. I'm not a fan of the movies. I think they weren't allowed to do rated R, and that was their greatest weakness. Well, on the note of Venom, you guys want to talk about some toxic, horrible animals? Before we start, I have to say, your segues in this episode have been, like, picture perfect. I I try my best. I I do what I can. (laughs) I I will say, I do. it's not the perfect segue, because I kind of lied. One of the things I hope this episode does is teach everyone who's listening that they're not horrible monsters. I think that's something that happens a lot, is when people see that something is poisonous or venomous, they see it as something that should be avoided at all costs or killed at all costs. And that's something I hope people can understand. This is not something targeting you. This is just how this organism survives. And I should probably explain why I keep saying poison and venom like they're two different things. Because they are. Yeah, no, no. Poison is when you got to eat it. So if you eat it, ingest it, if it soaks through your skin in some way, passively getting into your system, then and you get sick, then it's a poison. If it's actively injected into your system, be it a bite, be it a sting, be it a scratch, then it is venom. The distinction is pretty much only in the English language, like things like Spanish don't have a distinction, but it is important in science to know the difference because um, the way I like to explain it is, would you call, uh, Chris, would you call a mushroom venomous? Not usually. Yeah, that would sound weird, right? And that's usually how I explain it when I have people who don't know the difference. Like, okay, would you call a mushroom venomous? And they're like, no, well, why? And they realize, oh, I get your point. So yeah. There's a difference. Um, if you just want to be like, okay, I don't care. I just want to explain that it has a poison in its system. Just use a toxic or to- it has toxins and that's fine. And that'll, that kind of blankets everything up. You said poison is ingested. Venom is injected. Yes. What happens if you ingest venom? Um, If you have no, like, I'm not telling anyone out here to drink venom, but if you theoretically have no like cuts in your mouth, which is honestly pretty unlikely, or anything in your throat, you could theoretically just it would just be destroyed in your stomach. It's it's just proteins at the end of the day. But very unlikely with everything that happens in our mouth. Yes, I would not recommend doing it. The human mouth is filled with hard, sharp rocks. Like it, it's going to have some entrance in there to get into your system. So do not suck venom out of wounds. Yeah, that's a big one. Like, don't do that. I, stupid cow. Okay, cowboy movies weren't stupid, but like, really stupid that they picked them up. But yeah, um, organisms have been developing toxins to weaken or kill other things for almost as long as there has been life. Jellyfish have been on this planet for 600 million years, and that's not even going into the toxins plants have been able to spread before they even showed up. The whole point is to make your life last longer or somebody else's life last a whole lot less than yours. It's really important that people understand that this is something that has been developed evolutionarily so many times. One of the things I truly believe about Pokemon is that if they wanted to get more scientific, there should be as many poison types as there are water types, if not more. Because while there's a bunch of stuff in the sea, a good chunk of the stuff on this whole planet has some kind of toxin that it uses to kill stuff. 
or heard of at least. Do you know how many poison Pokemon there are? I can with a quick Google search and your editing skills. <laughs> I actually have already did, done it, so I can ah, share. Fine. According to Cerebee, there's 93 poison types. Okay. That's still, that's pretty good. Let me just make sure that they've got the most. Re- yep. Yeah, so they have Iron Moth in here. Okay. So they have 93 poison types and there are 158 water. That's amazing to me that there's more water types than the original 150. Oh my God. That's, that's right. It's oh so 16, almost just under 16% of Pokemon are water types. That's again, that's like, imagine if you literally had Kevin Costner's water world, but it was Pokemon. That's the <laughs> roster. <laughs> yeah. Every single water. It's just there. That would be a ama- I would play that mod. That's the mod I'm playing. <laughs> That's awesome. Pokemon Water World. Pokemon Water World? Hey, if it's poorly received, it really will be Pokemon's Water World. (laughs) Either way, I win. For those who have not watched Water World, do it because it looks like a Universal Studios stunt show went way too long. All the story behind Water World is also honestly pretty interesting. What happened? What? Why? Hang on, we're gonna take this tangent, folks. Stand by. What? what um, I mean, it's just like I think they were just—they were just—I I, off the top of my head, I really couldn't tell you, but I remember that I know they were absolutely just plagued by delays. Oh yeah, uh, that makes sense. It was—it was a disaster of a production. I did see a Water World section of Universal Studios when I was in Japan. I believe they're tearing it down for more stuff, but like it was there at least until 2021. So there you go. Dude, if Twister still has a ride, then. then I think it was a stunt show, not a ride. Like it had a. Oh, well, like, yeah. Walk- Twi- Twister was a stunt show. Yeah. Cool. But it, it's getting replaced for Fast and Furious, which actually makes me sad. I would prefer the very cheesy Twister stunt show. Yeah. I, okay. I will say, though. I will say, though. Like if they play the Tokyo Drift song instead of the normal stuff, I'll be fine with it. <laughs> I wonder if you know how they how live in Tokyo. Tokyo. That song's a banger. Anyway, sorry, back on track. Uh, so as far as vertebrates go, backboned animals, the first vertebrates uh, who had them were a group of fish called the conodonts, C-O-N-O-D-O-N-T-S. Uh, according to a Polish paper in 2009, they were some of the first over 400 million years ago. Now again, Many different things had venom by that point or toxins, but these were the first vertebrates that did. And if you look at a picture of these things, it's not, they're not cute. I'll, I'll say that enough. Like, it lo- like, look up a conodont if you want. It looks like a worm with big eyes and terrifying teeth. <laughs> I, but that no, swims. Why do worms need teeth? I mean, there are actually a lot of worms that do have teeth like protrusions. It's not like a bobbit worm. That would be awesome. As a bobbit worms are a creature. <laughs> not even an animal just creature <laughs> my question stands why do they need teeth why why do you need teeth because no don don't make this logical <laughs> now answer the man's question why do you have teeth for eating that so why did the worm have teeth to scare me <laughs> I will say, almost every group of animals on the planet has at least one venomous or poisonous cousin. There, there's always some way of developing it. There's always some way of organisms finding some way to put it together their toxins. We could go over like all the different poisonous, venomous creatures, but I want to keep this under an hour if I can. 
And so I kind of want to talk a bit about some of the venoms that we encounter most often as people and what we've done about it. So snake venom is definitely one of the most notable. And one of the reasons why they're so feared is because so many people look at a snake and assume that it's venomous. It's the same with spiders, although admittedly spiders are all venomous, and we'll get to that. These animals use their venom to catch their prey in some pretty horrible ways. I mean, if you see what rattlesnake venom can do to a human body without proper treatment, it's no joke. And that's not even like a truly deadly snake compared to some of the others. Weren't there studies to show that like fear of snakes is hereditary? Ophidiophobia. Yeah, and they tested it with babies. Um, they had babies, and they didn't put a real snake in front of a baby. They might hurt the snake. Um, they put a toy-like snake in front of some newborn babies, and several and the babies saw in the study that some of them would shift and go as far away from it as they could. So there's that thing um, they call the arachnid response that's basically um, like the human response to certain, like, I know it's like with spiders too. Um, and it's like, you know, they think it's like an innate thing from back in, like, obviously those of us who way back in the day uh, shied away or did not shy away from venomous animals um, tended to not have the best time. And so the ones that did tended to survive and thus they live longer. And that makes sense. And it's the same with snakes. I mean, think about it. We're, we're all from sub-Saharan Africa and that area is littered with venomous and deadly animals. So there's a reason that some of us have instinctually picked that up. What I found though, is that despite this being so terrifying, both spider and snake venom is now currently used in medicine. Obviously, you use it to make anti-venom, but both of them have been used for cancer cures, and spiders have even been used to help research epilepsy. They've been using snake venom to try and fight cancer since the 1950s. There have been talks about using snake venom as a means of curing people with cancer. That's crazy to me. Leeches secrete venom. It allows their prey to bleed more and have less pain so they can get more blood. We now use it in arthritis treatment. Like, that's so human. That's so, to me, being human isn't about being a violent monster and ripping things apart. It's taking something and making something new out of it. And that's, like, so cool to me to take a toxin, something that you generally don't want in your body, and fix yourself. That's, that's awesome. I mean, think about all the stuff we could do with all these different chemicals that nature's been putting together. Like, it's nuts. That's, it gets back to what Don said in the beginning, where at the end of the day, it's like just molecules, proteins. I mean, like, it's just a mix of all those things that if you know how to break it down, you can use it for a lot of different stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I think one of the funniest ones I found was that bee venom is also used, but it's used in like anti-wrinkling cosmetics. Like, it doesn't need to be life-saving. It's just legitimately, well, this makes me look better, so I'm going to use it. Like, that, that's fun to me, too, that you can find something for it like that. Fun fact, I got stung by a bee for the first time in my life uh, a couple weeks ago. Really? What a hell of a run. Good for you. <laughs> 33 years. <laughs> I will say, I've only been stung by a bee once, and it was really embarrassing because it didn't sting me. It was a ground bee, and my flip-flop slipped, and I stepped on one patch of grass the bee was flipped upside down, and that's how the bottom of my foot got stung. Oh, yeah, I got it on. I got it on the back of the neck, and I joked to the bee guy I was with. I was like, "Guess I'm not allergic," and he was like, "Call me tomorrow." Oh, oh, <laughs> oh. Well, that's not very nice at all. <laughs> but not allergic. Found out. <laughs> I mean, it, again, it to me, there's something so amazing about how much nature just really doesn't want to get into direct confrontation. 
it just very much wants to like hit, hit you know what poison for you venom for you just if you go near me i am going to hurt you and then there's always these animals that just counteract it like hammerhead sharks do not care about being stung by stingrays they hunt them and even though they might get stung in the mouth the venom seems to have no effect on them same with bears bears are so big they don't care about being stung by bees I wouldn't say it's just a size thing because elephants actually like really, I mean, I guess the trunks and ears are very sensitive, but um, have you heard about the elephant like fencing things they do in Africa? Yeah, where they'll use bees. I think it's because the bears might just They'll just, just not... use the recordings of bees even is enough. That would do. I mean, I think it's, it is because like with the elephants, with that trunk, that is a massive weak point that a bear really doesn't have. Yeah. Also, the bear actively has evolved to eat and try and find honey, whereas the elephant has it. So maybe it's adapted a little bit more of a thicker, like, tolerance for it, if you would. Yeah, that's that's probably accurate. I'm going to make the one bad transition I've done today. And we're just going to cut it and go right to the Pokemon. Because I did want to talk not just about poison types, but Pokemon that should be poison types. At least a few of them here and there. And I also believe that Pokemon has done a pretty good job of tackling a lot of different kinds of poisonous and venomous animals, like everything from talking about pollution in the world to natural toxins. Like uh, the only toxin they haven't talked about yet is like radiation, which I think is for good reason. It's Japan. They're touchy about the subject. Rightfully so. I, I think, but like you could even, you might make the case that like G- Gigantamaxing or the evolution stones is probably like the closest that it's come. Yeah, that might be about like the radiation. I mean, you could also argue that the stones are radioactive, but uh, we'll we'll get to that another day. Like the firestone and whatnot. Yeah, I, I, yeah. That's some kind of radiation. So let's go ahead and let's cut into this new these Pokemon. So let's go ahead and get started. Uh, Don, you go first. What What did you bring for us to learn about today? I'm a fan of Toxicroak. I think everyone should be a fan of Toxicroak if they are. Not. I think he's a cool guy. I think he's he's one of he's also from a competitive standpoint. He's one of those fun guys who is completely irrelevant, except for then there'll be like a four month period where like when Kyogre and Xerneas are legal and like people forget Toxicroak exists. And then like suddenly he'll just be like out here just like smashing heads. Gunk shot, gunk shot, gunk shot, pause in the rain. Yeah, it's sort of like, yeah, fake out, poison jab, drain punch, kind of stuff like that. Anyway, though, so Toxicroak is a cool guy. Um, He's clearly, you know, he's a frog. He's poisonous. He's based off two, actually. Well, one group of frogs and one um other frog. Uh, one, Sorry, one group of frogs and one, like, very specific frog that's just very cool. Toxicroak, obviously, is poison dart frog basing. Um, Poison dart frogs are a... There's a couple groups, um, the, but the really like the really toxic ones are the Phylobates, um, and that includes like your uh, your golden dart frog, which is Phylobates terribilis, which literally just means like the terrible dart frog. I like it when they're on the nose like that. Yeah, yeah, and um, so dart frogs, uh, at least the, like the more potent groups. But there's also the Dendrobates family, and I've actually kept several dart frog species. It's a Bactrotoxin, which is like a particularly uh, potent type of toxin um in terms of like pound for pound like the dart frogs like uh the terrible dart frog as the name would suggest is like the most most poisonous vertebrate there is most toxic i guess you could say it is quite astounding how much toxin that i mean the fact that natives have been using it to like just kill monkeys it's like yo you could be using that on like jaguars (laughs) oh i mean yeah no jaguars whatever they can kill i mean i think one of them could kill a quite sizable amount of uh people 
just seems so unnecessary the amount of toxins they built up. Oh, absolutely. And like I as like I said, like I said, I've kept dart frogs and dart frogs are interesting too because they're like one of the toxic animals that gets its toxins from its uh prey. Like they eat in the wild, they eat a lot of small beetles and ants that contain uh formic acid and some other toxins. And they sort of sequester that in their own bodies and make it more potent. Terrible dart frog, Phyllobates terribilis in particular, also the golden dart frog, um, is like so, it's so toxic where just holding one, if the frog is stressed, like it could seep through your skin. And like that alone could be uh, fatal. Like the, the poison in a single frog can, uh, could kill about 10 to 20 people or up to two African elephants. So unnecessary. <laughs> it's in the Amazon. It's not going to need any of that. Yeah, they're obscenely toxic. Um, uh, in Col- they're endemic to Colombia, this particular species. And some of the native people there, like you talked about, uh, will use the frog to um, actually heat the frog over a fire to like really stress it out and like bring the poison to the surface, which I imagine is not great for the frog. Um, and then the tips of arrows and darts can be soaked in the fluid, and they can remain deadly for over two years. Ooh, that's a that's some serious shelf life. That's not like that's not okay. <laughs> We literally started with the most toxic animal we could think of. Yeah, no, they're really like I said, and they're they're honestly like really a really kind of a cool pet. They're pretty temperamental in terms of uh, humidity, as you'd imagine. But most tiny frogs are not the most, you know, one surprisingly social, and two, they're not the most. Um, they're typically very shy, and dart frogs just really aren't afraid of anything, and they don't realize that they're not toxic because fruit flies. They're just as happy to eat. So like they're they're a really cool pet. You know, do your research, make sure you know what you're doing. You'll buy captive bred, all that good stuff. Don't give but it ants. Don't yeah, give it ants. Don't give it ants. And but they're a very interesting pet because you get really get to see them a lot. Like they're really just not afraid of you. Like they're they're convinced. Um, but Toxicroak's an interesting sort of difference in this regard. I guess you could argue that it's more venomous. It secretes the poison, but then it injects it by um punching you with its claws. By 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 Wolverine. Yeah, by Wolverine style. However, um, there's another frog that sort of copies the the stabbing style of Toxic Croak. Are you guys familiar with the hairy frog? Oh, I am. Yes, I, I am as well, but please enlighten our listeners. Yes. So the hairy frog is a species of frog. There's also the otten frog, actually, which I guess you could argue it's even more close to. But the hairy frog is more interesting, so I'm going to talk about it first. So the hairy frog is a frog that's kind of, kind of sort of like a hairy-like Body thing, it, 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 it aids it with oxygen oxygen absorption in water, I think. Um, it might also be like a sexual dimorphism thing. But the hairy frog, when threatened, will break its leg basically at the wrist um, or its toes. I apologize. It'll basically break the bones of its toe and stab you with them. Yeah, I've seen the, uh, the diagrams of it. It actually does break the bones of the digit and it punches through the skin. And so you're literally being attacked by claws. There's also the otten o-t-t-o-n frog which has sort of a retractable wolverine claw sort of thing that's metal as heck i didn't know it was retractable well no that's this is a different frog the uh, frog, no, that's um, what i'm saying like i didn't know that there was one that was retractable i i know about the the breaking bones is something we've already seen with like the new quagsire like this is like no 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 this is just i can pull them in and out like a cat yeah the uh, the uh the auto frog or otten frog um it's basically under their thumb and both males and females have it, but the the males are longer. They think they use them for mating, and they are um, endangered now because apparently they were delicious, and um, that's not a great thing to be. Yeah, guess not. Well, I'm sufficiently terrified. Well, 
I don't know. Terrified's the wrong word, just because I, I think it's one of the funniest flexes we had. Because when I used to work in Florida, the aquarium I worked at, we had like in the display case, we had poison dart frogs. Like, and nobody knew the trick about not feeding them the ants. So everyone who sat there got like super nervous because they're like, oh my gosh, they carry these dangerous animals here. What's going on? Like, it's basically like an unnerving tactic. And now we're just sitting there like laughing, just like, ah, ah they're, they're harmless. They can't do anything to you. I always found it's a fun zoo or aquarium trick. Is if you see poison dart frogs at a zoo or an aquarium, they're not, they, they are deadly, but not right now. You're so you're so into tricking people, Lucas, at your aquariums. I mean, like that's the whole point. Like you get the they think one thing and you think another, and then you get to teach them. That's the moment you strike. You gotta you gotta get them when it's good. Well, we're gonna stick in the amphibians and go with uh, one of my n- favorite new poison types, which is from Galler Toxtricity. Expl- I, I've never. I'll be honest. I've never looked into Toxtricity enough. I just saw that concert at the end of sword and shield and lost my taste that's too bad because toxicity is punk rock uh, he, he looks cool he looks awesome it's just like i can't get that stupid scene out of my head because pokemon you have the money put some good music in no ed sheeran doesn't count but post malone does i'll take yeah i'll take post malone <laughs> So uh, we'll get this out of the way first. Obviously, Toxtricity is punk rock. We should have a music talk at some point. Uh, But you have the Ampton Loki forms, which they have the crests on their bodies that coincide with bass uh, bass guitars and guitars for the number of strings, six and four. G-Max Toxtricity smashes a guitar for its... uh, It's a G-Max stunt shock. British guitarist Pete Townsend from The Who is very famous for doing. If we're talking animals, I want to bring up newts. Uh, did, did you turn someone into a newt? He got better. Okay. <laughs> I needed to do it. I needed to do it once. I'm sorry, Chris. Continue. Yes, I know what a newt is. Uh, are you familiar with the northern crested newt? I am not. Admittedly, amphibians I am are slightly. I'm, uh, yeah, amphibians are a weakness to me. Northern crested newt is native to Great Britain. Like, if you look it up, comes very spiky. Got, oh, look got at some him. Spikes. Yeah, they're a very good looking newt. He's so cute. Lucas, what's that thing with the, the coloration? Countershading. Uh, so it, it has the countershading with the, the yellow underbelly, which if you look at Toxtricity, has that same sort of coloration on him. He's got the the purple back portion and then his, his underbelly is yellow or I guess blue technically if you're looking at the low key form. That's very interesting. Countershading is meant to be camouflage in the water. That's why everything from penguins, dolphins, and sharks have it. It's interesting there would be a yellow belly because that implied that it's evolved to live in murkier waters as opposed to like having a white belly where it would shine with the light of the sun. That's really interesting. Well, is and I mean, aren't newts typically more in that sort of murkier water? They're honestly one of the most fragile animals when it comes to water quality. Murky obviously doesn't necessarily mean dirty. But it is really interesting that they would adapt to those murkier conditions. So depending on the where they are, some amphibians live in crystal clear rivers. Others live in murky swamps. Like it all depends. So long as the water is free of toxins, they're usually fine. If I may also, um, I, I do think some of the coloration on that newt as well might be a, um, I, and I could be wrong. Are you guys familiar with like the fire melly toad? Because this kind of reminds me of that. I've heard that one I've heard of because it's a cool name. Yeah. So the um, fire belly toad and maybe like, not too much of an extension, maybe the newt. I'm not. I really don't. I'm not sure about the newt. This is just a guess, sort of on my end. 
Um, but they also utilize that sort of coloration as a way to show that they are poisonous and things shouldn't mess with them. Maybe like they expose their belly. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah, yeah. That's that. That is that is also uh, a good like. Don't eat me. I'm bright and poisonous. Yes, that was kind of like maybe they're also doing that. I said like I'm just sort of spitballing there. No, no, no. That, that's a good point too because that is something that that does happen. Uh, but Lucas, you brought up the the sort of sensitivity to water toxins or toxins in the water. Yeah. In the Pokedex, it says that Toxtricity actually ingests toxic water to sequester its poisons. What a helpful fella. That's very useful. Why aren't we just using this guy? Like, just throw him in. Like, that would be really funny if, like, there's a Pokemon world with a polluted river and there's literally just a dump truck pulling in, leans back, and it's just a bunch of tumbling Toxtricity just falling into the river. Well, I so here's the here's the important thing that I think we know. So one, I obviously like could be very good good application in the world. Uh we have Gigantamax dex entries. And with toxicity in particular, it says that its own poison penetrated its brain and has become out of control, tearing across the land in a rampage, contaminating the earth with toxic sweat. Pretty punk rock. <laughs> But that gets to the, like, uh, I, I, I don't think we brought it up, Lucas, but most things are immune to their own venom or poison, right? Yes. Yeah, more or less. And so with toxicity, that does not appear to be the case. It is it is affecting it in a way that is not good for it and everyone around it. There are plenty of toxins that could have that effect on just normally these animals. They The reason amphibians are so, like... Uh, affected by toxins is because they have semi-permeable skin where it can just leach on in there really easily yeah a lot of um a lot of amphibians are like what people like to call an indicator species where they're sort of the canary in the coal mine type of guy where when things start going downhill in a body of water or an environment they're kind of the first to go or the first to show uh stress i will say the opposite of that is the crayfish which couldn't live in anything <laughs> all right I, I all right i got one i, I got Let's one and it. it's Honestly, I think it's I picked this one because of its creativity. Ariados is to me the second coolest spider Pokemon after Spidops. This thing is based. Yeah, we're gonna on argue the, about that later, but we sure. can. Yeah, we can find fine again. Stat wise, they're both terrible, but spitting spiders to no, me. I just think a rock one is cooler. Okay, that's fair. All right, <laughs> spitting spiders to me are like. Okay, first off, they came up with this in, like, before the year 2000. So they came up with unique animals even way back in the day. So it wasn't just, like, a seal, an ostrich, a fox. Like, they legitimately, like, spitting spider, like, in the 90s. And that's wild to me. But let's only give it six legs. Yeah, okay, yeah, that angers me. It took them 26 years to add a spider with eight legs. That took them way too long. But... It is based on the one of the coolest arachnids. Spitting spiders, as the name suggests, will spit in order to catch their prey. Now, all spiders are venomous. The venom is used to liquefy their prey in order to digest it. That's why spiders have it. It's not meant to really be a defense. Things like tarantulas have even built hair-like defenses, reticulating hairs that will kick out rather than bite stuff because the hairs cause irritation. But this spider decided to hunt in a completely different way. Um, it is able to not only produce silk in its abdomen, but also in its mouth. 
and it produces the liquid silk and mixes it in with the venom. And then it will spit it out in a V-like pattern as it's moving around to coat whatever it's trying to catch in toxic, sticky thread. Oh, it's like it's like that that gladiator like net but poisonous. Yeah, it's wild because like most spider toxins cause a type of necrosis. Like it literally digests you. And so imagine being coated by not only something sticky, but also that's literally eating you away. That is like something out of like the weapons arsenal of the Predator. That's so cool. I'm pretty sure the Predator does have that. I mean, it's wild as well because these spiders live on every single continent except Antarctica, but they're like itty bitty. They're super tiny. They're not like the size of your hand. They're like able to sit on your thumbnail. They're really, really small. And I like that Ariados in the game is one of the few Pokemon to pick up a signature move that nobody else can learn. Like when Blaze Kick was like given to everybody that wasn't Blaziken, like they, they would, it just stopped being their signature it's still, move. It still has a signature move that no one else can learn? Yeah. Ariados has Toxic Thread and nobody else can learn I Toxic Thread. Move. Yeah, well, that's, that's proof how much I don't know about Ariados. It's not a good move. It's not good enough to be used entirely in competitive play, but it's a move where it shoots a Toxic Web. And that's really cool. Like in universe, though, people use the venom, the, the silk of Ariados for clothing. And if you're looking at like spider silk for real building material, pound for pound, in our world, it is stronger than steel. So we are looking at new and inventive ways to help use spiders to help our own world. And I love that this Pokemon exists at all. Because again, this was the 90s. They didn't have to try that hard, but they did. They went whole hog, which is why it's so good. It's such a good... I mean, it also represents the spiders that mimic ants. We talked about them earlier, but there are spiders that are really, really good at mimicking ants. And I, and I absolutely adore that this thing exists. 10 out of 10. Love this toxic Pokemon. Spider Ops would be so much better if it had toxic thread. Spider Ops would be so much better with a lot of things, but at least it has eight legs. My number two critter... I'm going to do my what I feel like should be a poison type. And I was mad when it wasn't when it was real back in the day. And that is going to be Gumi. Oh, yeah. No, that should have honestly been the first poison dragon. Yeah. Do we do we have a poison now? We do. Yeah. The um, what's it called? The Ultra Beast. Oh, that's right. Yeah. OK, well, he's whatever. Oh, no, um, we have two. Oh, yeah. Dragalgi. Dragalgi. We have three. Yes. OK, we well, have... I do love him, but he could have been like dragon grass. Or we something. have three poison dragons. Yes, yes, we do. Anyway, this would have been the, in my opinion, the best one. But okay, so I love Gumi. He's a silly little guy. Um, <laughs> he's one of my, honestly, he's one of my absolute favorite Pokemon. He, I mean, he's cute. Honestly, he, it'll probably be when they release that sitting cutie is going to be like the first ones that sells out. Gumi is one of my favorite like base level Pokemon. It's so yeah. cute. <laughs> All of, his all of his Pokédex entries are great, too. But one of my favorite things about Gumi and, like, sort of the Gumi line is that partially the sort of, like, a slug dragon kind of thing. And if are you guys familiar at all with the uh, blue dragon sea slug? Uh, no. All right. So, uh, it's got a lot of names. Some people call it the blue, the blue sea dragon, the sea swallow, the blue angel, blue gallicus, dragon slug, blue dragon. A lot of names. Yes, Gal Gallicus Atlanticus is its scientific name. One, uh, it's a sea slug, a nudibranch, to be particular, be precise about the actual group. It is one of the, in my opinion, the most one of. There's a lot of really cool nudibranchs out there, but it's this is, uh, in my opinion, maybe the coolest one. It it looks like a Pokemon or an alien, 
um if you guys are if you guys want to look up a picture of like the the uh blue dragon sea slug Oh, I pulled it up, and I've seen a lot of people post this on, like, Instagrams and, like, all kinds. This is one of those organisms that gets passed around amongst, like, animal people who are just looking for cool things to, like, get people's attention. People already assume that this is, like, what do you mean this isn't Photoshop? What do you mean this isn't an alien from another world? So G. Atlanticus, which I'm just going to call it that, is a uh, sort of a pelagic sea slug, which means it sort of travels around in the water. Um, and it, they basically cling to the surface tension of the ocean and they're carried by winds and currents. Um, and they do exhibit the counter shading as Lucas likes to talk about. And they're doing this because they hunt Portuguese man of war, which they consume and other siphonophores and they consume them. And then they take their nematocysts, like their stinging cells, and they sequester those into their own body and then use those for their own defenses. That's pretty. I mean, the fact that it's going after the Portuguese man of war. I love that idea. I love yeah, that. So concept. like one, they're really beautiful and pretty, but it's not something you want to handle because you can actually receive basically the equivalent of a man of war sting. Yeah. I don't want to do that. I don't want to touch it. Why does everything pretty have to be dangerous? And there's a lot of videos of people just holding them in their hands. Yeah. I've seen though, like there's literally one here. They kind of travel around. Uh, I said they're pelagic. They can be found like from Australia to Mozambique. So kind of all over the place. I don't really think they show up too much in um, the Atlantic, but they have been sighted um, off Bermuda. So we'll uh, we'll pivot back to uh, to one of mine, which I wanted to take on what I think is one of the weirdest Pokemon that I could think of that I don't know when we're going to talk about this guy any other time. So we're doing it now. What do you think about Swalit? I don't. <laughs> Ever. It's one of the most forgettable Pokemon as far as I'm concerned. Nobody cares about it. That's not me being mean. That's me being accurate. What 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 do you think? What do both of you think Swallet is? He's a feller. God's mistake. Honestly, like it's a Pokemon where like I remember I played through Ruby and Sapphire in like elementary school or whenever I got it. No, nah, maybe middle school, whenever it came out. I remember I saw Gulpin so many times and I sort of ignored it. It's not yeah, it's not a it's honestly one of those Pokemon that some of the villains use, but like, like a throwaway almost. I think I will. I will try to convince you that I think Swallet is actually one of the more intriguing Pokemon in terms of world building potential. So it's kind of just a giant blob. So when I, it's the poison bag. Pokemon. It's a plastic bag full of trash. <laughs> it's more than a bag. Uh, but I base I think of B horror movie The Blob or gelatinous cubes from Dungeons and Dragons. It's sort of this all-consuming ooze that will eat anything and whatever it pleases, and nothing can stop it. That is, again, uncomfortable. But there's more terrifying stuff out there. <laughs> well, this thing can. It, it says it can eat and fully digest a car, or a car tire. Okay, that's definitely scary. Okay, no, whoa, 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 hold on now. <laughs> I think it, I think it could also digest a car, just not whole. But regardless, now uh, I've seen some people say that it's a that Swallow is just a giant organ. I would disagree with this assumption because we know that Swallow has organs. It has a stomach, so it's not an organ that has organs. I think that's kind of a little weird and more meta than they're going for. No, I honestly, I, I, I'm thinking of just like how much it can consume. There was an amazing video I saw recently of a cormorant just piling down fish down its gullet, and this thing is a vertebrate, and it's able to just stretch itself. And there's even the lionfish that can expand into its stomach 
30 times its original size. Okay, wait, time out. Have you heard about fish? Have you, are you guys familiar with the gulper catfish? I, I am not. You should look it up. Um, but something about swallow and its body morphology. Have you guys ever seen how a cone snail eats? Oh, I have. You should look up like a a, a video, Chris, for like oh my 30 God. seconds. Of, like, this catfish is eat. Look at this thing. It can't eat that. Oh, my. It looks like a monster hunter monster. Yeah. No, that's a that's a big nope for me. Why do I not want to learn now? Now it's become I I don't want to know about Swalot anymore. <laughs> Basically, it's able to eat everything it has because it has this hyper potent stomach acid. Um, and we were talking about it. You know, we were talking about how these creatures that you know venomous, poisonous. The most important thing is that they aren't they don't hurt themselves with their own stuff. The only thing in the world that can withstand Swalot's stomach acid is its stomach kind of like the human stomach we have a whole bunch of chemicals in our system but the second it leaves our stomach it starts melting the other organs you're you're right but if we were to put stomach acid on a car it wouldn't melt it chris's point is that swallow stomach acid is apparently will melt every single thing that exists that isn't swallow stomach Okay, fair. That would actually, this is a Pokemon. Does it not get the corrosive ability? Corrosion? That, no. I feel like that could be something it should get. It has liquid ooze, sticky hold, and glut. Okay, let's lose sticky hold and let's just give it corrosion. So, my, my the thing that I started thinking about with Swallet is what sort of uses could it have? Oh my god, it's 5'7? <laughs> it's giant. <laughs> Excuse, dude, that's taller than some people I know. It's five seven and one hundred and eighty pounds. It's taller than Charizard. I don't it like. It eats Charizards. That's canon. It can eat a Charizard in one bite. So what I was thinking of is, with with a with its stomach being so resistant to things, you know that people would start farming those stomachs for any sort of practical application in terms of like withstanding production processes and that kind of stuff. Like that is one hundred percent gonna happen with how resistant that that stomach is. I mean, it definitely would. Uh, honestly, I'm surprised. Like people would definitely be making gloves out of that stuff, work material for it. Like there would be every number of hazardous jobs would depend on the stomachs in order to provide a better like sustainability. This organism should be extinct by now by the number of people trying to use this thing. Or just hyper farmed. Yeah, no, it's it's honestly I respect it more now. But we've come to the final Pokemon, and this one, like Dawn's, it should be a poison type. I think the entire Magmar line needs to be fire and poison. Its environment should tell you enough that it deserves it. Fire on its own is awesome. Like, being just pure fire is dope. But a volcano is fire, rocks, and toxic gas mixed all into one. And this thing bathes in it. Magmar, honestly, is based off, like, demons and stuff and yokai, and that's not my specialty. I'm... It bathes in magma and lava... Sorry, lava outside of the earth, magma inside of it. Whatever. That lava can reach 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit, and it bathes in it. Not jumps in when it needs to. Legitimately, that it's its comfort zone is 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Wild stuff. Absolutely insane. And the fact that it's toxic... Like, the toxic gases that volcanoes exclude... Sulfur and carbon dioxide. Enough of that stuff can easily kill a human being. There have been multiple people. They don't even go near the volcano's lava. 
and they just die from the toxins in the air. It's terrifying to me. Don, has Magmar ever like been competitively viable? Um. Okay. So we're, I'm about to make a deep cut. So way back in the day, I believe it might have been XD Gale of Darkness or Japanese events. Um. But way back in the day, there was a few Pokemon that got follow me through. I want to say it was XD Gale of Darkness. One of those Pokemon was Magmar, and like we are going back in the day. I believe it Top Cut Worlds. What? Um, way, way back in the day. Um, let me, let me, I'm gonna find, I'm gonna try to find the specifics. Um, this was basically why, um, when we got the, I think it was the hexagon rule. Hex, I, I think there was a thing where, like, I want to say it was, um, X and Y, where basically every, they, they're like, for the new rules, they went, all right, everything from the games before is not legal. It has to be caught in this game, like, moving forward. And since then, they've done things where, like, they had, like, a hexagon logo on them, and then it was, like, a pentagon, and they've done stuff like that. Previously, if you like, as long as the Pokemon was legal, if you had got a crazy event Pokemon from like a one-off event ten years ago, you could use that Pokemon. If it wasn't like a Jirachi or something, or from like a side game and things like that, so you had things like Follow Me Magmar, Follow Me Electabuzz, things like that, where like you could put um you know Eviolite on them and things and such things like that. Um, I'm looking at oh yeah, Sejun Park, uh, the world champion in 2014. Um. And 2013 at Worlds ran a Follow Me Magmar, in fact. Wasn't he the Pachirisu guy? Yes, Pachirisu guy. He knows how to use Follow Me very well. I, I'm just saying, this Pokemon learned smog, clear smog, poison gas. Like, it, it really should have a toxic typing just because volcanoes are so terribly dangerous to be around. Like, the pyroclastic flow is one thing, but the fact that it, the, the gases around it are just coming straight from the Earth. It is very, very terrifying to even be around this thing. Admittedly, I will say that the Swalot is now more terrifying in my eyes. I would rather take the poisonous gas and be swallowed by this thing. But I still think it would be cool. Maybe we can get a, a Paradox Magmar that's fire poison. I mean, that could work. I mean, like a regional variant that added the poison typing. That would be fine. I feel like a Magmar, like, paradox, like a, a Magmar from another region would be like living in a swamp, like an actual duck would, and just living in the mire. But honestly, it's not, it's one of those Pokemon that keeps getting forgotten. Like, again, there's, there's 1,008 Pokemon, a lot of them get forgotten. But I feel like a lot more people like Electabuzz and Electivire more than Magmar and Magmortar, which is sad to me. Magmortar has cannons for arms, and that's sick. I mean, like, literally, it's just like, if you look at its Pokedex, it's just like, nah, it just shoots fireballs out of its hand. It literally evolved cannons in its wrists. He's not even the coolest fire can firearm cannon Pokemon anymore. I hate that. Don't talk about the other one. Things shouldn't be immune to fire. I need to be able to <laughs> click eruption at all times. Flash fire should be illegal. I feel, oh my god, when... When and if Kyogre gets in the game, like, Gastrodon is just, like, it's... There's something just inherently funny about, like, you have this all-powerful, deadly attack, and then there's just one goober in the corner that's able to negate it. Every time, there's just one goober Pokemon that can handle it. I love it. I love this game. And I love that they've put so many, like, we literally went through, like, lists of Pokemon that could have been toxic and poisonous. This game has unintentionally given us so many good traits to talk about with these Pokemon. And I'm so glad that you guys, like, y'all took way better notes than me on this one. But, like, thank you guys for, like, putting the heart into these suckers. Because, again, I'm now terrified. And that's very hard to do for me.
I am glad I have shown everyone the light of the true enemy. Which is <laughs> oh my god, the true enemy. It sounds like something out of Warhammer 40k. Like, me know it's the true enemy. The god emperor shall protect us from him. He's the bad guy in Detective Pikachu 2, calling it now. Um, that would be, oh my god, that would be so great if it was literally just a really smart Swalot. Or if that was like the bad guy's Pokemon. Oh man. At some point... Someone's got to take up the stand and say that Detective Pikachu had some of the finest world building in Pokemon ever. Like, that was the best. So, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoy this. And if you do, obviously share. I'm really thankful that you guys listen. I'm really thankful that I can keep doing this with my friends. And hopefully, we'll keep doing this for as long as the foreseeable future lets us. So, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Have a great day or night, everybody. Bye. Bye.